Say. Book of Isaiah, the 59th chapter, and the first verse. Um, the nature of sin. It, like I said, these chapters kind of a compilation, a continual, a continuous on of what the previous chapters were. And the people had, this is a prophecy of where the people had came back. They were back from captivity, but it seemed as though God wasn't working with them uh, and people say had God lost the, the ability to save uh, that what was going on with his people but the problem was with the people themselves their transgressions, their sins the way they were living their lives and the chap- chapter 1 verse 1 I, I mean 59 verse 1 says behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, and he will not hear you. The living version reads, listen now, the Lord isn't too weak to save you, and he isn't getting deaf. He can hear you when you call, but the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Because of sin, he has turned away his face from you and will not listen anymore. And I don't think that verse is no more applicable then than it is now that the people are causing the misconnect, the, the miscommunication with God, that God is not hearing the people. And as we talked about yesterday about the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the delighting yourself in the Sabbath that you are obligated to continue in what God has shown you to do. Not not, not a responsibility, but God had showed others to do. Have God spoken to you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? And starting in creation all the way back God had spoken of deliverance for his people ever since promising a redeemer that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. The bondage of deliver us from sin. And if you're not delivered from sin, it's a cause, a problem in your life. And it may be just iniquity. And I tell you, iniquity is legalized sin. Something that's right there on top that you don't see a problem with or whatever, but it's sin that you have a wrong view of sin. Genesis 2 and 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had created and made. So in Genesis, as God says, he blessed the Sabbath day, something he did to no other day. And as I was saying yesterday, that that day is holy. God had made that day holy. And to the people who use that as a base point of being the people of the Creator God, there's no chance of getting away to another Jesus or another religion or whatever. This blessing from God falls on the heels of the obviously physical blessings God promised on the animals and on man in Genesis 1 and 22 he blessed animals that they would be fruitful and multiply 
Genesis 1.28, he blessed man to be fruitful and multiply. So multiplication in the physical sense was a blessing from God that he bestowed on all of creation. But there was a spiritual entity involved, the spiritual blessing. And that component comes as we walk in obedience to his Sabbath day. The Bible shows a blessing to be something given a conferred to produce a fuller, a more abundant life. Those that practice the Sabbath, God said, if they found a delight in the Sabbath, not found the Sabbath to be a burden, and that they delighted in the Sabbath, that their life would radically uh, sometime be changed, that they can see the spiritual component working in their lives. The Sabbath blessing conferred upon the whole creation acts as a capstone to creation week, that this was the finalizing point. This sets it apart as you're walking down the shelf, the store or something, and they, you see a capstone, you see the head of that aisle, you see something that finishes it off, that completes it. it. It's at the top of it, and it's at the, it's at the top of the pyramid, the Sabbath day. That's the day that God rested. But it was something else about that day that says that God hallowed it, that it has a sanctifying effect. It has a, uh, a, a distinguishing effect that sets God's people apart from other people. By blessing a recurring period of time, God promises to man to be man's benefactor through the whole course of human history. So he said the Sabbath was perpetual. And in other words, that seventh day Sabbath. Now a lot of religions and preachers and theologians and scholars have twisted it and changed it about and tried to bring in the annual Sabbaths and the feast day Sabbaths and all of those Sabbaths and all it has did is brought confusion but that's different from the seventh day Sabbath. <clears throat> the blessing invokes God's favor, and his primary intent is that God will be our spiritual benefactor. And notice that in Isaiah and some other parts of the Bible, even in Revelation, that God comes back and say to the people that keep his Sabbath, to the eunuch that keeps his Sabbath, to the Palestinian, to the Syrian, to the Egyptian. In other words, to any nation, to any people, because the Sabbath was voluntary. I, I don't need to go back and rehash about uh, the law and the difference and all of this. You just have to go back. And sometimes when I say we've talked about it, it's there. God's biggest bonuses and prizes and his greatest resources goes for those, he says, when you search and seek for me with all of your heart and with all of your might. In other words, you have to go back and dig somewhere in the ministry within those 1,200 teachings and preachings of the Bible studies that we went over. It's in there somewhere. It's your obligation to search for it. It's not, not anybody else's obligation to give it to you. As, as Mr. Brown used to say that, God say he feeds even the sparrows. He feeds, he takes care of everything, but that sparrow just can't sit up on that limb and look down and, you know, say God's supposed to 
drop a worm in my mouth. No, he has to get out on the ground and scratch and move the leaves and search for it. We have to search for God's word in, in this television, computerized age. We love the gimmicks. The somebody just puts something right there that's right there at hand. You know, I was mm-hmm. noticing my granddaughter the other day, her coordination with coloring and everything. Uh, they don't put the laboring thing in that or whatever because with the iPad or something, you just touch a spot and you could put it, make it brown, green, or whatever color, and it colors within the line. It colors all that stuff. So it's one critical mass, and it tends to make us a little bit lazy. Anything that sometimes we don't labor for. That's why God gave man a job. He put Adam in the job garden and told him that he would was to tend the garden to have dominion. Well, it's the same way with God's word. If we study God's word and walk in God's word and be a do of God's word, our dominion would grow. Our faith would increase. And that's what happens with God's people, that it says his arm is not slack. That if you're reading and studying his word, you would see through that mirror of God's word where your fault lies, where your problem lies. It's going to show you your sin. It's going to show you what weight or what's beset you from running this race. Thus God clearly ties his ministry to the Sabbath concept of blessing, deliverance, liberty, and redemption. The Sabbath is for those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It has a reconciling effect. It's the reconciliation of man to God as the way it was in the beginning when man was created upright in man's justified state. Once Christ justifies you and he imputes his righteousness unto you, then you grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of God. You grow in the liberty of God. Deliverance is there. And salvation is a term that the Bible used kind of broadly in aspects. It's a kind of broad brush to paint with. But it literally means deliverance. But it can also be used to include anything that God does in his effort to bring mankind into his kingdom. So salvation is a broad brush to paint with but it's deliverance. It's deliverance from bondage, whether that bondage is to devil, some type of sin, whether that bondage is to your spouse or to your children or your parents or something in the world. God has set us free. He had set us at liberty, and we have to learn how to exercise that liberty and be delivered into the kingdom of his son. The feeding of the flock is a work too. We see where he told Peter to feed the flock. So that's a necessary thing to to be done because that's the way the flock grows. That's the growth of the flock through the assimilating of God's word. It is more needful than our physical food. That's why a lot of times we fast and pray or whatever to get it in a closer proximity of perspective of God's word, of God's dealing or relationship with God, and it brings us further into the kingdom. And I discussed that Jesus stated that the Sabbath, the reason he did a lot of the workings and miracles he did on the Sabbath was the religionists, the religious people that, that day 
had a wrong view of the Sabbath. Just like today, if you tell somebody you're a Sabbath keeper, they look at the Sabbath as different from the Lord's Day. They think Sunday is the Lord's Day. But Jesus says man was the Sabbath was made for man and not man the Lord. But when they start saying the Lord's Day, then they tie with the resurrection, and they got the resurrection wrong. Most of Christianity has the resurrection wrong. They have it tied to Easter and a one-and-a-half-day resurrection where he was buried on Friday and he rose on Sunday morning or whatever. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach Christmas and all of these holidays and things that has brought us into bondage. And as I said, we so bound to certain things that we have to rob God or we can't conduct the life of God because it has tied us up with the things of the world, a material aspect of the world, that we can't even honor our parents or do what we're supposed to be doing because materially the world has bound us. It, it didn't bound us to where we're very bound in the world. Jesus stated in John five seventeen that my father has been working and I've been been working until now in our work. So that's why he healed on the Sabbath and he did these things to show to people. Well, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's what we're supposed to be doing is doing good on the Sabbath. I'm I'm trying to be delivered from part of my bondage on the Sabbath in, in which ties me up. It's too much television watching. I, you know, I watched a couple of things on TV yesterday or whatever, and I'm saying that's a problem for me. I, I didn't say it was a, a sin or something, but what I'm saying I feel wrong because that's a pleasure of mine that I'm doing. It's, it's a relief. I, and like I say, I can't be legalistic about it, but people in the church and people that want to have, you know, people love love to help Satan's minions and demons try to help keep you bound by saying ain't nothing wrong with that you shouldn't do that or whatever and they keep you from being from your freedom that's why you tell some people well you don't have to do what I'm doing we're not all necessarily made the same way so if this is your hobby horse this is what you need or whatever you feel free but the conviction that I'm getting, the leading and the prompting of the Spirit I'm getting from God is that I feel bad doing this. I'm being convicted in doing these things. But people will try to tell you, especially if you tell them you observe the Sabbath, they'll try to tell you what you can and can't do. It's no way in the Bible that it tells you what you can and can't do from on the Sabbath. It says that except that it does say that you should abstain from work now when it says work it means toil but he showed where the priests work on the Sabbath sacrificing animals and things I didn't got off on the Sabbath you didn't intend to do this but go back and study some of this or whatever you're going to have a wrong mindset you're going to get off on a wrong tangent here but we're talking about the saving and the keeping power of God, the reason the people felt or didn't feel the power of God. It was because their sins had separated them from God. It was their iniquity. Sin was causing a lack of communication with God. It is not God's lack of power, but it was Israel's wickedness that prevents salvation. 
just as it is today. The reason that people aren't strong or, or religiously feel God and, and God's working in their lives to where they can see the spiritual development is their sin. Sin has separated them from God. God's divine ability hadn't diminished. God is able to rescue and save. Daniel 3.17 says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. So here the three Hebrew boys, they knew that God's power, the availability of divine power was there. But they didn't necessarily know the revealed will of God or what God would do. But they did know, regardless of what God did do, that they wasn't a worship. I think the living captures it a little bit more because uh, that's kind of added in the Amplified and some other versions. But it doesn't say that he was going to rescue them from the fire. But it says... Let me read the living. It says, if we are thrown into the flame and furnace, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. But if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstance serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have erected. In other words, they were saying, if God doesn't remove us from this problem, we're still not to serve the gods that you serve a worship, a bow down in the way you want us to do. And it's a lot of people now. They're under financial burdens. They're under different difficulties in life. And God may not manifest itself by moving them away or moving that problem away. But it may be God's will that they go through that problem. Sometimes, as it says, the righteous are taken away and nobody considers why or what happened. And a good bit of my day and night the last couple of days since I found out about Brother Haywood uh, was about his removal about his death and you know I look at death as you get older or whatever you you start looking at death and analyze it and he was a real good man or whatever but God has that doing but he had talked about some of the things that was going on in his church or whatever and those are things that I we should contemplate and think about what God's doing and he's going to strengthen us because just like God's power deliver here, it's a time of judgment. We're judging right now. And you find out whether your, where your spouse is, whether your friends are, who are around you because you're still making judgments each day as who's with you and who's not with you. What's God's doing here? What's God's doing there? So the people that God is working on, the the servants of God, realize that God's doing something and they're praying to God and continue on with their lives, but they know that God's hand is, is still working, that God's at work. A lot of people may not see what he's doing and God may not be revealing it to them because they're not searching and seeking for God. They just take life as it comes. Uh, his divine ability, as he said in the book of Luke 3 8, to raise up children from stones. He says, Therefore, produce fruit that is worthy of and consistent with repentance, that is, live changed lives, turn from sin, and seek God in his righteousness. 
and do not even begin to say to yourselves as a defense that we have Abraham for our father, for and so our heritage assures of a salvation. For I say to you, from these stones God is able to raise up children that is descendants of Abraham. For God can replace the unrepentant sinner, regardless of their heritage, with those who are obedient. So, no matter what position Israel had came back, Cyrus had opened the door for them to come back. But the temple wasn't being built back. They wasn't building back the temple. We read in Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Habakkuk, the people were complacent. They were building their own houses. They were thinking about themselves. And that's what the people are doing today. They're letting God's house fall down in the ruin and decay. They're not paying their tithes and offerings. They're not giving time to God. They're not teaching and preaching and doing what God has called them to do. They're busy building bigger bonds and material things, advancing themselves. So what we have to realize, those of us that serving God, what happens when he moves a, a member like Brother uh, Hayward? What happens when he moves some of the people within our church? Maybe he's making room for others that he's going to raise up for believers that he, that's going to hear the gospel and truly come in and work in the church. And maybe some of the dead weight that's in the church, some of the professing believers, he says, so to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, you can see, well, maybe these people here don't see God, but God's trying to show us their blindness. And that's what we're talking about in Christian nationalism. I see a great influx into the church from the secular world and unbelievers because Christian nationalism, the politics and what's going on in religion shows the hypocrisy among God people of just how many people in the church that are not truly believers of the gospel of God's word and that God's not working there. But God is working. They can't see God's work because God is not working with them, even though because of observance, God's days, uh, uh, either because of what God's doing. God's causing them to prosper as he did to lay out the sins in some of the people that prosper. As Job saw the wicked it prospering, but it's prospering for their destruction. That others would follow these politically. I can see what's going on in the nation. I see what's going on, and that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me joy and peace to see the dissolution of the nation, that it's going to break up and that it's going to be a lot of things happening in the next two or three years. But those that know their God, they're seeing an opportunity. They're seeing hope. They're seeing God working in the divine ability that God is placing. So what they're doing, they're preparing. God's hand is preparing his people at this time for the positions to come forward to fulfill promises, the divine ability to fulfill promises. Romans 4.21 says, being fully convinced that God had had the power to do what he has promised, and that is that he's going to bring forth a glorious church 
one without a spot of blemish. Yes. And I looked at a, a video that somebody had posted online where they went to a two and a half hour church service today or whatever. And I look at these and I say, how some of the churches and the people are just going on into oblivion, blinded, praising God, worshiping God. But God says that the blind is leading the blind. So what that does is that drives me and God's people. And I can't speak for others, but I can speak for God's people. I know what it's doing. It's causing them to study God's word more, to pray more. And that's when he says, that's why he says, my disciples will pray and fast after that I'm gone. Because in the mystery of godliness, he's revealing unto his people that it's not long. That you can see this thing caving in. And people that can see a demise, they they pray, God, give me another day. Give me just a little bit more time because they can see the building falling down. They can see the world caving in on itself. So as we see those things, as, as, as time gets closer, as the end gets closer, God's people are working and studying just that much more hard. The divine ability to make grace abound. 2 Corinthians 2, 9 through 8 says, And God is able to make all grace, that is, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you so that you may always under all circumstances regardless of the need have complete sufficiency in everything being completely self-sufficient in God and as I, I tell my relatives and I tell different people about what's going on and it seems as though man I'm, I'm kind of spinning my wheels here where is this coming from and what's going on here you can feel God fortifying you and fortifying you, you know, with, as I think, keep thinking about Brother Hayward. I was going to call Brother Park and talk to him. He's in South North Carolina with his daughter right now, whatever. But sometimes you just need to talk and see. And Brother Park, I think he's 83 years old or whatever. You need an extrapolation of people and things that's comforts you, but that can see what's going on, you know. As the apostles, they, they grouped together or whatever, and, and they were comforting each other in that final hour as they were being comforted. And, you know, sometimes I was talking with one of my nephews the other day were saying this and about family and helping and everything. All that's good and that's physical or whatever. But I'm praying to God and crying and, and keeping them in my prayer because you can't even see this thing that hopefully and God's able for his grace to abound or whatever but you're one of the ones that I'm praying that God would open your blinded physical eyes to see spiritually you see we, we're thinking we're fine because we only can see the physical and we can't see the spiritual it's as when Eli came and blessed Hannah when she was praying and she, he thought Hannah was drunk, and he seen her mouth moving, but what nothing coming out. And he blessed her and said, God bless you and give you the petition you're desiring of him. But he thought she was drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk as you think I am. 
But the blessing that he conferred on her was that she was praying because she was distraught and hurt because Peniel, the other woman that was married to her husband, that was married to uh, Hannah's husband, she had children and Hannah didn't have children. And Hannah was crying to God to have a son and that's when God blessed her with Samuel. So sometimes the circumstances and the situations look dire. Sometimes the people in the world come in like a Caiaphas and says, it must needs come to pass that one man die for the sins of the world. You take into consideration all of the words and things everybody say or whatever, but where did this come from? Was this coming from God and he spoke it through wicked men? Because the arm of the Lord sometimes comes through evil and wicked men. God used a murderous, d- d- guilty people to, through the predetermined counsel of God, he used them to kill his son, to hang Jesus on the cross. So God uses means, and as means God uses to accomplish his purposes. Uh, Ephesians 3 and 20 says, The divine ability to do exceedingly abundantly more. God is now able to, for him to carry out uh, what have I done here? Is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, and dreams. So as I walk through the church yesterday and seeing some of the things that was going on and I was opening up the windows that it would air out some and blow out or something and I was praying that God would send help that God would look and and it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it would take years it may be months or weeks or it could be any length of time that's why it says God is able to do exceedingly more than all that we can dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, and dreams. One of the things I'm hoping and dreaming about is Brother Davis that came by. He's a Pentecostal brother that I've seen him several times. He came came by here and praying a couple of times and he was the one that prophesied that God was going to expand this ministry, this church to such a capacity here where it is and those are some of the things that I have in my mind it says Mary thought on these things and in other words when Jesus was growing some of the things that Jesus said Mary held those things within and thought on and that's what God's people are they are contemplative people as Joseph thought about the dream that he had told his brothers and things that they would bow down and worship him even his father and thing as in one of the dreams and interpretations no matter how hard they worked against that dream that dream came to pass God's word came to pass and they realized that at the end just as Joseph realized it so some of us, God gives us a mind as we transform, our mind is being renewed or transformed. 
we can hold on to consciousness of the promises of God, of the word of God, which gives us hope, which help gives us every increase in faith. But to some of us, it's just kind of like, you know, when people think about what's in that person's head or whatever, and they show something about some blonde or something where they head is empty, you know, their mind is not thinking about anything, where they just all over the place or whatever. But some people's mind is consistently building on the promises of God, building on the words of God, and their lives are being conformed into the image of God's and not likeness, because we are all made in the likeness of God. That's a physical attribute. Man was made in the likeness of God, but the image, the image is to express character, the mind, the other things that are not physical but are spiritual. And that's why he tells us to meditate on his word day and night. The other divine ability is to subdue all things. Philippians 3.21 Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superly abundantly more uh, according to his power at work in us. So God is working in us and he's bringing about it's by his spirit. The spirit is working and a lot of people can't see the spirit working. But just as God said to Abraham that he was going to reveal these things unto his friend. So to a lot of us, what gives us strength and hope along the way, we see some of God's word coming to pass. We see these things coming to pass. Politically and religiously, I see a lot of things that's happening. And I go back to some of God's scriptures and I say, well, man, this is, this is exactly what God's talking about. And so that's what he says about the Sabbath. And I want more days as the Sabbath. I want the Sabbath to increase in my life because, man, if I could take away my granddaughter was at, went to sleep yesterday and I kind of eased out of from watching TV and thing where I was in there with her and got on the computer and started reading and studying or whatever. And physically... You know, I enjoyed being with them in, in there hiring my wife or whatever. But those few minutes, those that hour, hour and a half, I was studying and going on. It was getting so wrapped in, up. I said, well, look, I better go check with my wife to make sure we got keeping things on course or whatever. And I said, honey, have you ordered the pizza yet? She was supposed to be ordering pizza from Papa John's or whatever. And uh, she said, yeah, well, because I was trying to say, okay, well, I don't want to eat too late. But see, dinner and all of these things and somebody listening at this or whatever might talk about other people working on the Sabbath or whatever. And let's just, I'm taking all of that into consideration. If they understood scripture, if they understood or uh, they were being led of the spirit of God. Those that are understand what I'm saying and talking about, but those that don't, who cares? But anyhow, to God the soul's spirit, God's divine ability to God the soul's treasure, Second Timothy 1 through 12. It says, this is why I suffer as I do. Still, I'm not ashamed, for I know him that is, I am personally acquainted with him. Now, that's why I wanted to ask you, are you personally acquainted with God? Are you, are you in a personal relationship with him? And a lot of people talk about it, a lot of preachers or evangelists or different people 
that say they talk about God like God's sitting at the table with them or God's really right there with them. But you need to get in that relationship to, to, to you feel that comfortable that God is right there with you, listening at every word and seeing everything people do against you and for you. You need to get that situation that you know God is right there and he hears every word and every idle word you speak, you would have to give account for. But he says, Paul says, whom I, ha- I know who I have believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and the truth in his deity. And I am persuaded beyond any doubt that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day when I stand before him. So he knows and he believes. He knows who he had believed in. That's why the prophet's asking, the arm of the Lord is shortened. Who had believed our report? Who's believing us? Those that relying on it, that's trusting on it. They're staking their very lives on it, those that believe. So it's manifest those that don't believe. Because the, those that don't believe, have you ever had somebody close to you as Job's wife came in and says, curse God and die? Oh, Where's she coming from? She don't sound like my wife. This is a bad spirit. So whether that spirit's coming, wherever that spirit's coming from, just like Jesus, he knew, he had just told Peter that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. My Father, which is in heaven, revealed that to you. But he was able in the very next breath to say, get behind me, Satan, because Peter's a dual human being just like the rest of us. Just like good things come out you, bad things could come out you. It's a lot of things that I don't say about my mother to my brothers or sisters or whatever because they may not understand it or whatever. But if you set your spouse up, your parents or anybody, your children, as a God, you could be in for a mighty rude awakening when you find out that they got feet of clay just like you and they had bad habits, they had problems, and they did sinful and repulsive things also. But you say, oh, that's my mother you're talking about. Well, yeah, I'm talking about your mom. You know, it's like, you know, we have to learn that we are all here and that God's trying to show himself to us and there's none good. No, not one. He's able to save the uttermost. Hebrews 7 and 25 says, therefore he is able also to save forever, completely, perfectly, throughout eternity. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf, he's our high priest. He's ever going to be there to intercede, to have an advocate with the Father. So there's there's no problem in God. There's no shortness in his hand, but a lack of faith, a lack of walking with God could make you seem as though God is not hearing, that God is not with you. But if you're trusting in those of us that trust and believe in, in his word, know that he says that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us and that he's just like the Hebrew boys, he's in the furnace of fire with us. He's right there with us. Amen. It's just that we have to realize that sometime God may appear as he's gone. The only time that we see that happening with Jesus is when he was on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? It was because of your sin. It was because of my sin. You remember, yes. sin separates us from God. 
And if our sins was laid upon Jesus, that was separated. That's what that's where the, the greatest sin is. That's what separated the Godhead. That was happened in the fall. That sin. That's the death that Jesus came to die and sacrifice because of our sin. And to reconcile us back to God, he had to lay down his life. And he had to trust and believe in God. And do we trust and believe in God? Jude 14 says, Jude 24, I'm sorry. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling into sin... And to present you unblemished, that is, blameless and faultless in the presence of his glory with triumph and joy and unspeakable delight. And that is Jesus Christ. It's to him that we give this to and we owe this to. I was telling you about faith and the ability that God gives us and that, that growing connection to, to bring the connection back. In John 1 and 12, he says... But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that connection comes, and that's in the New Testament. This is under the New Covenant because faith cometh by hearing the word of God and the word preached. And that's why we continue to hear the word preached because as many that believe in that word and they can't hear without a preacher. And that's why we declare it loudly. But to that preacher also, he, that preacher cries loud and spare not. He don't spare his children. He can't spare his spouses. He can't spare his parents or anything. He has to proclaim this message and he says, Show my people their sins and their transgressions. So as he's showing and telling them of their sins, they have to repent of their sins. They have to turn from their sins. We have to look into the mirror of God's word. The Amplified says, but as to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right that is the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to do to those who believe in, that he is adhere to his word, trust in him, and rely on him and his name. Yes. To those, we will focus on the word translated as right. He gave them the right, the ability. The King James Version reads, he gave them the power, yes. the power to become. We see that in one book of the Bible, he tells them to go back and tarry in Galilee till you be endued with power from on hand, on high. In other words, some of them was going to be given this power to become sons of God. Some of them was going to confess that they had this power. There's a lot of people in the church that the professors are confessing something that they don't have. But this power gives you the ability, the right, the authority. And as you walk in it and grow in it, in that faith, it is faith. That's the seed. That's the kernel. That is produced. You're born again by the word of God, by the will of God, by God's process, this transformative process of regenerating you anew. 
this uh, word is exousia in Strong's Concordance number 1849. It has a variety of uses. That is, the, it could be used as saying power, authority, or maybe the capability, the ability, the strength, entrusted, a commission. You remember he commissioned Isaiah. Isaiah say, send me. Lord, send me. Well, if he commissioned, if we're commissioned, that means carried the authority of. That's why we baptized in the name. The church has the power of authority as God's representative here on earth. Someone that's commissioned. That's shown by the laying on of hand. In other words, the transferal of power from one to another. It implies the liberty of the power to do something. A person can be given the right to do something and then given the might of power to do it. So we are born again, justified. Now comes the power to do these things of the authority. What does what God does what God, what does God do here through Jesus Christ? It says, as many receive him. This is going to be the agency this has come through. What God does is everything is in Jesus Christ. The arm of the Lord has revealed these things. Uh, the arm of the Lord. And that's what we're, we're trying to get at through that introduction. That's my introduction. That should start. It says the arm of the Lord is not short that it cannot save. Isaiah 30 and 30 says, And the Lord will make his majestic voice heard and show the descending of his arm, that is, striking in fierce anger and of a flame of a devouring fire in the crashing sound of heavy rain, cloudbursts, and hailstones. And so when we see magnificent displays as the torrential rainfalls that were coming down yesterday, sometime of the lightning and the thundering, sometime is a, a crashing sound of death coming in, and the circumstances that tears a, a body of believers or tears people apart. Mm-hmm. All of these are the hands of God. We talk about the arm of God. And it's the power of God. But it's a hand of judgment also. Mm-hmm. It's a hand where it empowers. Sometimes it builds up, but sometimes it tears down. Isaiah 15 2 says, Why, when I came, was there no man... When I call, why was there no one to answer? Is my hand really so short that it cannot redeem? Uh, have I no power to rescue? Listen carefully. With my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers into death into a desert. Their fish stink because there is no water and die thirst. That's Isaiah 52. Even though these things are happening... You may need to get wisdom or understanding as to what God's doing because there's no dissipation of his power. God doesn't, God's power doesn't wane. God's power doesn't ebb out or whatever. It's like when Jesus was doing the healing of the multitudes and walking along and this woman says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be made whole. Well, when she reached out and touched his garment, Jesus said, who touched me? He said that he felt power leaving from him. He didn't mean that 
the power that was leaving from him is like you go to a gas station and fill up with gas and the gas leaves out of the gas tank and goes into your tank and that makes the gas tank that you fill up from less of that amount of gas that you put in your car. No, when he said he felt the power ebb from him, this is power from a limitless source. This is infinite power. It's like when you see that transformer generator, it has a step down on it to where that line goes into that house. Even though the power is being generated and goes into that house, it doesn't lose power at the source. God doesn't lose power. We can't drain God of power. Out of his abundance of riches, God never goes dry. So it is as God being our source, his power flows, but we may clog up the holes. Our iniquity sometimes short circuits it. Sometimes it clogs up the flow. And that's why people say we should be a channel in which God's resources can flow through. Sometimes people start getting money and God's blessing people, but now you take God's tithes and offerings of God's blessing and you start helping someone else. You start stealing or robbing God because it's not used for the purposes of God. Uh, I don't. I hate to use Elon Musk or some of the wealthier people or whatever or rich people, but just say this man is very wealthy and he has children in this house and that house. There's a lot of different men. They say, well, they're able to take care of two or three houses or whatever. But these these women don't know that this man is married. He have enough resources to keep both houses going, all these things going. But the problem is, is a moral issue. In other words, God says, are you breaking God's law with what you're doing? And that's the pre- what Job's friends were attributed to Job. Though Job's, Job had wealth, was he using it for unlawful things? Was the wealth God given him, it's like someone have money, but here he's praying prostitutes or harlots, as Solomon was talking about in Proverbs, what are you doing with your resources or whatever? It's going eventually clog your flow up from God. So you can be doing things, as I talk about Corban and some things, you could be giving the church and giving the purpose, other purposes, but you may not be honoring your parent. God says that you don't honor your parents. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for you. So what has happened, it feels as God didn't left your life. It's like Samson. Samson didn't know it till he hit rock bottom. Sometimes people have so much resources until they completely run out of resources. Sometimes our lives get so entangled. It's so many foxes destroying the vines, but it says the little foxes destroy the vines. So all of these things built up to one massive problem that iniquitous that separated you from God. You was able to handle all of these other things, 
But that one thing brought the whole thing tumbling down. It says a little sin leavens the whole lump. So you were in a church and whatever, but it had bad doctrine, and that bad doctrine leavened the whole lump. You fed the needy, you cast out devils, you did all of these things, but then Jesus said, I never knew you. Why? Because you had something that disconnected you from him. That didn't make your life balance out the way it should be. Now, a lot of times you think you're doing good, to you, but the arm of the Lord is there, but it's not slack concerning His promises. But you have to check out your own life. Check out what you're doing. The problem is on your end. It's never on God's end. The disconnect is never on God's end. Verse 5 says, uh, 51 and 5 says, my righteousness or my justice is near. My salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the peoples. The islands and coastlands will wait for me and they will wait and hope and confidence. So God's judgment is near and right at hand, but it can't get in. It's knocking at the door to get in, but it can't get in because of sin. You have to have clean hands to serve the Lord. So that blessing is not bestowed upon you because these things in your life has to be taken out. He says, cry out and show my people their transgression. It may be the church you're in. It may be the, the, the denomination you follow. I don't know what it is. It could be something, but God knows what it is, and you've been warned about it and preached because he says, show my people. But we don't want to see our sin. A lot of people don't want to see what they're seeing. Or they become reprobate till they can't see their sins. God's arm is often associated with redemption and salvation. Exodus 6 and 6, Isaiah 52 and 10, Isaiah 53 and 1, 63 and 12, and John 12, 38. Now, I don't want to start these because I can't go through them all right now at this time. I got a lot of pages to finish this. Uh, It says, Isaiah 52 and 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm. That is, he has shown his infinite power. We see the infinite power of God in creation. We see these things, but not everyone sees it. Even signs and wonders and miracles, sometimes you could be blinded by those. See, that's why I say it's such infinite. And that's why, like I say, I t- could take so much time of God's Word in six books I have sitting right side my desk, and I want to read them. And I said, well, don't, you know what? I'm start reading these on the Sabbath. I know my daughter will call. If somebody will call for me to do something on the Sabbath, I have to judge what I need to do or whatever, but this is what I want to do. Yes. Uh, and that TV, I'm going to have to say no to it. Nothing wrong with me laying down, resting on the Sabbath, watching the TV program or something. But I need to say, I need, this is the, this is the appointment, this is the day and time. I need to do this with God. Yes. He says, My, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations that he is revealing himself as the one by whom Israel is redeemed from captivity that all the ends of earth may see the salvation of God. So God has shown this. It's been revealed, and to those that see this, 
it gives them hope and it gives them can I say an introspective into God and by this they say these are the promises of God I need to lay hold to them and they go search and seek to lay hold to that the arm of God is not slack so now I found out what the problem we go to a mechanic or something a doctor when they diagnose the problem and says well your problem is in this area here I don't I can't pinpoint it now but now we take the word of God and try to fine tune this thing to find out what our problem is and where it lies Heavenly Fathers we come before